tonight, the promise that Jesus leaves with us. So John chapter 14. We're going to read up to and including verse 11. Jesus says to his disciples, remember this is just before his betrayal, just before his arrest. The next 12, 18 hours are going to be some of the the most horrendous hours on earth for Jesus. Actually the most horrendous moments that he will know in all eternity. The next 18 hours brings a sundering of the Godhead where they are alone the first time in all eternity but together in their purpose. It is one of the most mysterious and awesome in the right words moment in all of history. And we are about to enter into that. And Jesus turns to his disciples and says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It is a lamp to our feet. It is honey on our lips. It is a wonderful gift from you to us. 
and we treasure it. Father, in your mercy, we pray that you would breathe upon your word. That it might come alive by your spirit. That it might impact us completely, transformatively, from the inside out. Would you take our hands and our feet and our mouths and our eyes and our ears and would you transform them and conform them to your word that we may be men and women who walk the way, live the way, worship the way, know the way. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I've uh, had a a tricky week this last week, uh, a little bit up and down. I've had a chest infection and uh, I've had some very strong antibiotics which have nullified the effects of some of my other uh, medications. So I found myself from time to time shaking like a leaf and getting quite fearful. Yesterday morning I was supposed to be at a, a discipleship meeting here at the church and uh, some, some, uh, Friday night I texted David Coffey and said, really sorry, struggling a little bit. I don't think I'll be at that meeting. Anyway, the meeting was beautiful. I didn't go. And as David was driving home, uh, as he often does after a meeting here, he phoned me up to tell me how wonderful that meeting was. And uh, he said, obviously, I'm concerned about you. And uh, I'm very happy to preach for you at all three services tomorrow, which I was very grateful for. But I was also sat there with my Bible in front of me, just putting the finishing touches to my sermon. And the words that had hit me and penetrated my soul were these first words, do not let your heart, do not let your hearts, do not let your heart be troubled. Obviously, Jesus is speaking to the disciples before the horrendousness of the cross. But through the power of the Spirit, the Word comes alive and speaks to each one of us. Right where we are, He ministers to us. And His word to us tonight is, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. And the next 11 verses, and actually it goes on to deal with prayer, these verses are the outworking of this truth. This is what it means to trust in Jesus, to lean on him and put his weight, our weight, sorry, on him. What God that we could possibly make up What God that has ever stood in the pantheon of mythology or other religions, what other God turns to humanity and says, I care about your heart right now? What God? What God says, I care about your trembling and your shaking? What God says, I care about your fear and your anxiety? What God, Jesus does. And that blows me away. Do not let your heart be troubled. Trust in me. Trust also in God. 
I've got a testimony of that uh, over the last 10 days. Um, one of the things that's really been uh, causing me a fair bit of anxiety and, and fear, I'm doing my best to rest and trust, but one of the things that's really causing me fear is the, the prospect of a move uh, to, to uh, Heathfield in East Sussex. I will be leaving this place that I love immensely and my home and the boys' school uh, and uh, moving to Heathfield, a uh, small place and, uh, you know, lots of changes. We hadn't got a house. Uh, just very, very uncertainty. I'm very uncertain. And that uncertainty causes fear and anxiety in me. And I have to keep bringing it back to Jesus, but I, I still get fearful. Do not let your hearts be troubled, Jesus says to me. But here's my testimony. We, uh, I had a really wobbly week uh, last week. And uh, we, uh, we were in a bit of a state. We were going up to look at five houses in Heathfield. Uh, and on the Wednesday last week, we traveled up uh, to visit five houses. Well, the first one we went to, I mean, I couldn't even drive. I was too shaky. Joe does all the driving because I'm so anxious. And the first house we visit on Thursday morning was a converted uh, bungalow. And uh, it's not much to look at on the outside. And we went in. Uh, and Jo's very practical. She's got a lovely practical eye. And she's looking at things and uh, checking where our furniture, could we possibly as a family fit in this house and live in this house. Meanwhile, I'm being quite nosy and I'm going through photographs uh, and checking out the books or, on the shelves because that's the kind of thing I do if you ever invite me round. I, I like to look at your photographs. I like to see what's on your bookshelf. I am really nosy. And that's what I'm doing. And Joe's dad is there and they're being very sensible, tape measures, looking at things. And I'm rifling through stuff. And what I'm aware of are all these pictures of vicars around are on the walls. And uh, I go into the hall, and there are two tapestries. And one of the tapestries has words from Revelation 22, where you've got some in front of you on the notice that uh, Ellie has done for you about come thirsty. There's this tapestry with words from Revelation 22, particularly talking about the tree of life that is for the healing of the nations. And next to that is another tapestry with a prayer that says, May I meet you, my Savior, every day in this house. Beautiful words. May this be a place of healing. May I hear your voice morning by morning. And you're not supposed to do this if you visit houses, but I'm starting to take pictures now because I'm just blown away by these things. We go upstairs into what's been the loft conversion where uh, there's three bedrooms. And uh, we, we go upstairs and uh, in the lady's bedroom, it was a couple, elderly couple. Uh, and she died in March and he died a few years before. And in her room uh, was a, a Bible. Uh, in her room, a Bible by the side of her bed, obviously well-thumbed. And on that Bible was a prayer card. And again, I, I want to pick up the Bible because I want to see what she underlines. I want to see what's important to her. And uh, you're not supposed to do that when you're viewing a house, but I did. I, I picked it up and I'm flicking through it. What, what, what she cares... Don't ever invite me around. Uh, 
you know, I know for most of us, we'll have the Argos catalogue by our bed. She had the Bible. I'm flicking through it and uh, just amazed. And this prayer card on top of her Bible uh, was a covenant that she'd signed in 2000 to pray for all the churches in Heathfield every Sunday. And there at the bottom of the list, because it was in alphabetical order, was Welcome Baptist Church, which I was the pastor for. And every Sunday, by her bed, on her Bible, every Sunday, this lady prayed for my old church, and while I was there, me. So we bought the house. It's an amazing thing. And I see that as God caring, opening a way, showing his way to me, caring about little house, really. I know it's the biggest purchase all of us will make if we buy one. And it's one of the most important things to us when we have one. But it's only a small thing, really, in the grand scale of life. When you've got 200 girls being stolen in Nigeria, and war looking like it's coming in Ukraine, and missile tests in North Korea, it's a small thing. But God cares about these things deeply. And so his word to all of us is, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in me. Trust in God. That's what he says. He gives us a number of promises in this. This is what we're looking at, the promises that Jesus left behind. First promise is this, in my father's house are many rooms. It's a lovely phrase. Older translation says, uh, my father's house has many mansions. Gives us an idea that God has place for us. God's great generosity throws open its arms and embraces us. God's first promise, delivered by Jesus here, is there is room in heaven for you. That's what he says. My father's house has many rooms. There's room for you in heaven. You are not excluded. You are welcome Come in. Come home. That's what he's saying. In my Father's house are many rooms that are yours. Many homes that are yours. There is a place where you will be most truly at home. More home than you have ever been before. And there's room for you in heaven. That's what he's saying here. Beautiful, beautiful words. He then goes on to reiterate it, draws a line under it, highlights it for us. If it were not so, I would have told you. If this was pie in the sky, if this was just a nice idea, if heaven was just a thing to keep you happy, I would have told you. But I have come from heaven, and I live on earth, and I tell you the truth. Heaven is your home, and there's space for you there. First promise. Second promise is this. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Now, there's a couple of ways we can understand this. 
uh, or misunderstand this, actually. One of the ways we misunderstand it is that we imagine somehow Jesus, after his death and resurrection, has gone to heaven to prepare a place for us. He's clearing it up. He's building an extension, putting on a, 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 new, uh, a new couple of rooms for us. Um, uh, Keith Green sings uh, about, about earth being made uh, in six days. Uh, and heaven he's been working on for 2,000 years. And he says, so, you know, here, this is like living in a garbage dump to compare to what's going on up there. Well, there's a truth in that. But Jesus hasn't been spending 2,000 years giving our rooms a lick of paint and building us furniture as a carpenter. That's not what it means. Rather, it means that Jesus' death prepares the place for us. I am going, I am dying, I am walking the way of the cross in order to prepare that place for you. Or perhaps we could say, he prepares us for that place by dying on the cross. That's what's happening here. He's preparing us for that place. His going, his death, his resurrection are that which prepares heaven for us. It makes a place for us who are sinful, who fall, who trip, who stumble, who fall. It prepares a place for us to live in the beauty and the perfect harmony that is heaven. And that's what he says here. His death is going to kill death. That's what he's saying. I love a story by Max Licardo. He he tells a story of uh, two missionaries, uh, husband and wife, two children. And they're back on furlough, on a, a sort of rest from mission. And the wife, they're both doctors, but the wife suddenly becomes very, very ill. She's rushed into hospital and very soon deteriorates and dies. And the husband who is left and the two children are absolutely shell-shocked. They leave the hospital and drive home in stunned silence until the daughter, about nine years old, turns to her father and says, Daddy, why did Jesus let that happen? Why has Jesus taken mummy? Well, it's evening and they're driving home in the dark and they're on a dual carriageway. And the dual carriageway has lights up the central reservation. Uh, And just as she asks that question, a a truck overtakes them. And as the truck overtakes them, it throws the car momentarily into darkness. And as the truck goes on its way, the car comes back into the light from the streetlights in the middle of the road. And the father gets inspiration and he says to his daughter as he drives the car, through tears, would you rather be run over by that truck or by the shadow of the truck? The girl thinks for a moment and she says, the shadow of the truck. And the dad says, Jesus was run over by the truck so that mummy would only be run over by the shadow of the truck. It's beautiful. 
Jesus took the full weight of sin and death, rebellion, grief, shame, pain, sickness, illness. Jesus took the full weight of that so that we wouldn't have to. It's the most beautiful truth. Not only does God care about our anxious thoughts, God wants to have us with him in heaven. He wants to live for eternity with us. And the way to do that was for God himself to come and take the full weight of death and sin upon his shoulders. And there's good news in this. The good news is we are free from death. Although every one of us will die, it will just be the shadow. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Jesus allowed that valley and that mountain to crush him so that we would just walk through the shadow of death. So we're free. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. These are key verses for us as people because I think most of us fear death. We are desperate uh, to preserve life, aren't we? And most of us fear dying or the process of dying. This is Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, speaking of Jesus. Since the children have flesh, have flesh that's us, since the children have flesh and blood, he, that's Jesus, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death. That is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. You may well be tonight trapped in chains you cannot see, fear of death. And it may be holding you back because you are scared of dying. The writer to the letter of the Hebrews tells us that's a form of slavery which Jesus has set you free from. He has destroyed the power of death. It used to hold you. You used to live in fear of death, but now you have been set free. Now, there's a big difference between us owning something and possessing something. There's a big difference between those two words. Here's an example. So we've put an offering on that house and it's been ex accepted. We go through a number of stages and eventually we will exchange and we will give them money. It will go straight into their bank account and they will give us the deeds. At that moment, sometime, that will happen sometime in June, God willing, when that happens, we will own that house. But we won't possess it. We'll still be here in Plymouth. We won't possess that house until we walk in and our furniture's there and we've made ourselves at home there and we're in. 
It's the difference between ownership and possession. Now we own the truth of these words. Jesus Christ has defeated him who holds the power of death and has released us from lifelong slavery to the fear of death. We own that. But many of us don't possess it. We're still fearful of dying. The uncertainty, the unknown. If that's you, one of the ways you can help possess it is to write that verse out or highlight it and come to it every time you're fearful about death or dying and and memorize it and take it deeply into you and hear Jesus' words in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, you have nothing to fear about dying. You have nothing to fear. Don't claw on to this life. You have nothing to fear in dying. C.S. Lewis says some amazing things. One of the things he says is that on the journey, on the human journey, he's given us many inns, pleasant places to rest. But they're not our home. Heaven is our home. And it's beautiful. If it were not so, I would have told you. Paul, chained, house arrest, writing his last letters, says, for me, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. That is true. That's what it is, the Christian life. It's it's Jesus' way to live is Christ, and then to die is it's promotion, it's gain, it's even better. If it were not so, I would have told you, Jesus says. The third promise is, I'm coming back, verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Jesus is coming back. There is a great day coming when Jesus will return. Every eye will see him. He will descend from the clouds and all earth will know. We're told that the dead will be raised on that day. And with him will come the martyrs. It is a great and glorious day. And it is a promise. There is a day coming when Jesus will put everything right. And there is a day coming when every one of us in this room will close our eyes on earth and die. And you know what will happen in that moment? When we close our eyes here, in that instant we will open them on that day with him. As he comes from the clouds descending, we will open our eyes and we will be with him. 
When we die, we do not spend years waiting in some limbo. There is no such thing as soul sleep. This is something we cannot understand. But God, who is outside eternity, outside of time, far more majestic and incredible than all we can imagine, says to the thief on the cross, this very day you will be with me in paradise. He was not lying. This very day. So for every one of us in this room, there will be a moment when we will close our eyes on this world and we will open them and see Jesus. And you know what? It will happen at the same moment for all of us. Just as God is three in one, can't get my head round that, I can't get my head round this. Your loved ones are not lonely in heaven waiting for you to get there. We open our eyes together. We will open our eyes with the thief on the cross. This very day, you will be with me in paradise. This is a wonderful thing. If I go and prepare a place for you, you can be sure I'm coming back to get you. I try and describe it like this to my boys. You know, on long journeys, they often fall asleep in the car. And uh, I don't want to wake them up. Uh, That's more trouble than it's worth, to be honest. So I leave them sleeping, and I pick them up from their little seats, and I carry them upstairs, and I put them to bed. I tuck them in, I give them a kiss, and in the morning they wake up home. That's what Jesus says. You will close your eyes here, and you'll be home in a way you've never known. In a, never, in a way you've never thought possible, heaven is more real, more substantial, more perfect than anything we can imagine. And that prompts Thomas to, to ask a question. He says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? He's just stating a fact. I don't understand about heaven. There's very little in the Old Testament about heaven. So he says, I, I, I don't know the way because I don't know the place. And there's a truth there. And that's a deep truth for all of us. We can't express how glorious heaven is. Paul says, none of us truly know how wonderful heaven will be. No eye has seen, no ear has heard the wonders, the glory, the perfect peace that is awaiting us in heaven. John, who writes these words, had a vision while he was on the Isle of Patmos. He was imprisoned on this island. And he had a vision of heaven. He says these words in Revelation 22. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. So the first image he gives of a place without any sea. Well, that sounds a bit frightening to those of us that love swimming, snorkeling, diving, sailing, and love just looking at the sea. What, heaven with no sea? That doesn't sound too good. Well, that isn't what John is saying. John is saying that, not saying there's no sea, but he's talking figuratively and talking about what sea represents, this seething uh, elemental force of chaos, this thing that can't be judged, that isn't safe, that can all of a sudden whip up into the most dangerous of environments, this chaotic elemental force, the sea. And John says, that won't be in heaven. There's nothing like that. You're not going to be torpedoed 
by bad news in heaven. Your world isn't going to suddenly fall apart in heaven. There's no sea, no chaotic elemental forces that are going to rip you apart. In heaven you are safe. And of course, John is imprisoned on this island. An island surrounded by sea. And across this sea, as he would look east, would be the coastline of Turkey. And in Turkey were a number of churches of whom he was the pastor. And he would care deeply about those churches. I care deeply about this church. When I go, I will still want to hear how you are. I will grieve and I'll cry when I hear bad news. And I'll rejoice and I'll be chuffed when I hear good news. I still care. Brilliant thing is I can Facebook you and instant message you and I can phone you and I I can hear what's going on. And you may even invite me back to preach, who knows. Uh, And so there'll be some kind of contact between us. John didn't have that. The sea was a sea of separation between him and the people he cares about. And John here is saying there'll be none of that. In heaven, there will be intimacy, unsurpassed. An intimacy we have never known on earth. Even between a husband and a wife, there will be an intimacy, a bearing of souls, of friendship. C.S. Lewis, again, to quote him again, says this. He says, Eros is about naked bodies. Filio is about naked souls. In heaven, we will have naked souls, naked spirits, naked personalities. There'll be no bluff and buster, no putting down to lift yourself up, no lifting yourself up to put other people down. Just Perfect intimacy. No sea of separation. He goes on, he gives us another image. He says, I saw the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice saying from God, now the dwelling of God is with men and women and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He gives this image of a, of a wedding, the joyous celebration of people coming together. He talks of the church being married to Jesus, this intimacy, this wonderful togetherness, this glory of the perfect marriage between us and God. He goes on. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. He will. There will be no more death or mourning or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. It's beautiful. It's heaven. And comes the fourth promise. Thomas says, look, we don't know this place. So how can we get there? And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's saying... There is only one way to God. There is only one way to enter his home. There's only one way to heaven. And that's by Jesus. 
He is the only way to come to God. The only way for us to reconnect our lives to the source of our life and the destiny of our life is through Jesus. There is no other way. He doesn't merely open the door for us, but he carries us through. He is the way. Now we know in our day and age, it might have been easier for us if Jesus had said, I am a way, I am a truth, I am a life. But Jesus hasn't given us that option. He says, I am the way. I am the only way to God. He's also saying here that he is the only way to live for God when we're here. To love Jesus is to obey his command, which means living as he lived, freely obedient to the gracious will of his Father, loving as he loved, with the Father's self-loving, sorry, self-giving love. That's how we are to live. We are to do the things that Jesus does, say the things that Jesus does. That's the way to live. I am the way, the truth, and the life. In funerals uh, now, people love to sing the song, I did it my way. That's the song Oz, McGuinness, uh, sorry, Oz Guinness says, they will sing in hell, I did it my way. Because to know Jesus as the way is to follow his way, to listen to his voice, To follow him as the way is to know and understand him in his unique relationship with God. He says to Philip, he says, look, if you show us the Father, that will be enough for us. We'll be happy. We'll believe you. And Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen God. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And you've seen the Father because you've seen me. He is in me. And Jesus is going to later say, and I am in you. So we don't live as servants trying to double guess our master because he lives in us, shaping our thoughts and our hearts and our lives and our ways. We don't need to double guess God because he's in us. I am the way, the only way to God the only way to heaven. And I am the life, the only way to live. So four great promises from Jesus. First promise, you're invited. Heaven is open to you. Second promise, I'm going to the cross to prepare a place for you. The third promise, I'm coming back for you. I'm going to carry you home. And the fourth promise, I'm the only way there. I'm the only way there. And above it all, overriding, overarching, is Jesus' word. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the truth of these words. We ask in your mercy that you would come and visit us. You would come and touch us. You would know our anxious thoughts. And you would lead us in the way of everlasting. So beautiful the way your Bible comes together. So beautiful that you told us that we will walk through the shadow of the valley of death. So beautiful that you tell us that you know our anxious thoughts, that you care and you come and you lift us. So beautiful that you have freed us from the power and the dominion of death. Will you come in your mercy to every heart and would you bring the power of the cross between us and the power of death that we might know life and we might no longer be in chains to the fear of death. In Jesus' name, amen.